plants. They're all good for our ecosystems, right? What if I told you that just because something is green, it doesn't mean that it's good for the environment? Plants like English ivy, Japanese honeysuckle, Chinese wisteria, and mimosa trees may be familiar to you. And while they may look beautiful, invasive plants like these can negatively impact the health and stability of other important plants. Today's episode is the second in the series, and we will be discussing native plants and invasive plants. In all cases, invasive plants do, are not providing a service to that ecosystem. Uh, they do provide food, but often food for the wildlife that's eating you know, portions of these plants. Um, it's not beneficial to, the, to that wildlife. Welcome back to Plant Power, the power of plants in a changing climate. I'm your host, Emma Wilson, the Fred and Virginia Houck Sustainability Intern at the North Carolina Botanical Garden. I'm here to guide you on a six episode journey through native plant topics and their connection with our changing climate through interviews with some of North Carolina's finest naturalists. I originally moved to North Carolina in 2013 and was infatuated by this fluffy greenery covering roadsides, abandoned buildings, and forests. Distracted by its beauty, I wasn't aware that I was staring at an infamous invasive that is prominent in North Carolina. This plant is kudzu, a woody vine that can grow up to one foot a day and smother other plants, stealing their sunlight and water. Non-native plants are identified as plants that are introduced to an ecosystem where they do not occur naturally. While not as severely impactful as invasive species, non-native plants fail to benefit our ecosystems and can depreciate the environment they are in. Invasive plants are a more aggressive type of non-native plant, which have also been introduced to a region where they don't occur naturally. Invasive plants quickly spread and cause environmental damage when introduced to an ecosystem. Speaking to us more about the importance of using native plants in our local ecosystems are two garden employees, Neville Handel and Nick Adams. Neville is the land manager for the conservation department at the garden where he is responsible for managing over 600 acres of natural areas. Neville uses his ecological knowledge to run and coordinate prescribed fires, invasive species removal, and ecological restoration. Nick is the battle park manager in the conservation department, where he removes invasive species, restores native plant habitat, and maintains public amenities in the garden's natural areas. Welcome, Nick and Neville. Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, thanks. Good to be here. Good. So let's back up a bit. Nick, as the battle park manager, can you tell us about what a native plant is and how native plants are advantageous in our local ecosystems? Sure. Uh, So a native plant is a plant that has evolved in the environment in which it lives. So that's just a simple definition. And uh, sort of taking that further, a native plant is adapted to the both the biotic and the abiotic conditions. So that means the biological conditions, so other organisms that it's interacting with, um, and the abiotic conditions are like soils and geology, for example. So how are these plants um, being advantageous to our local ecosystems? So native plants are the major defining component of an ecosystem. They are the they're not only the backdrop, but they're the, um, they're the foundation of a local ecosystem. And so uh, from a basic standpoint, they provide food, habitat, and essential elements to microscopic organisms, bacteria, uh, insects, and animals alike. 
when we so just to sort of take that further when you see native plants start to disappear from uh, an, an ecosystem you can you can see that uh, that impact almost directly because you start to lose other components of that ecosystem as a result interesting when we talk about climate change, we often hear the word resiliency. Could you maybe define ecological resiliency in terms of native and non-native plants? Mm -hmm. Ecological resilience is that the definition is uh, the ability of an ecosystem to back, bounce back from disturbance. Mm -hmm. um, there is a whole spectrum of what a disturbance, how you define a disturbance, uh, but essentially uh, it, resilience is the strength of an ecosystem to um, withhold its character. Gotcha. And would you say that's an important part in mitigating climate change impacts? Absolutely, because uh, climate change is uh, on, a, on a large scale uh, another disturbance. Mm -hmm. So um, if native plants are taken out of these ecosystems, then this ability to bounce back from, from this disturbance um, is uh, broken down. Interesting. So Neville, as the land manager of the North Carolina Botanical Garden, could you speak to us a little bit more about the disturbances and how the increase in frequency of storms impacts our local ecosystems? This increasing frequency of high intensity events means that large scale disturbance events are becoming more and more common. These are things like floods, severe hurricanes, tornadoes and wind events, and large catastrophic wildfires. With these events becoming more frequent, their impacts can become more compounding and damaging over time. These disturbances can also create openings for non-native weedy species to invade an area. Uh, a classic example of this would be the spread of Microstegium viminium, or Japanese stiltgrass as it's commonly called. Uh, and this happened after Hurricane Fran created many canopy gaps throughout the southeast. Um, in terms of some examples, again, we talked about what Hurricane Fran did for stiltgrass. Um, a place that's near and dear to my heart would be Mason Farm. We've had three 500-year flood events in the last three years between Hurricane Florence, Hurricane Michael, and Hurricane Matthew. And just a week and a half ago, we had another severe flood event. And these floods will cause severe damage. They'll introduce invasive species. They'll bring in trash and litter from the upstream communities. They destroy populations and individual species. And they are getting more and more frequent. And I can tell you just from my own daily experience here at work, the damage is compounding and it's becoming worse over time. If you could go on and talk about how we can use native plants to help restore these ecosystems that are adversely being impacted by these extreme weather events, that would be awesome. Absolutely. So to, to go back to what Nick said earlier, when we're talking about native plants, we're talking about plants that have evolved to live in the area where they are found, where they're naturally occurring. Uh, the reason why these plants have succeeded is because they were able to successfully survive and reproduce in the conditions that you find in that area. So the soils are right, the hydrology is right, the climate's right. All of those things led those plants to be successful there. And as Nick was saying, they can be foundational elements of the communities. They are, they are the backbone, the, the biological backbone upon which these communities are built. So when we're looking at ecosystems that have seen this kind of 
extreme damage, the best place to start restoring them is with the plants that would have naturally occurred there uh, before these conditions happened. If you're going to plant things that aren't native, they may succeed, they may not, but they aren't going to have those relationships that we have with native animals that have also co-evolved with the native plants in this area. Gotcha. If I could add to that, uh, going back to this concept about uh, native plants being the appropriate material to put in a landscape for the purposes of restoration, it made me think about uh, perhaps what the public might be asking about seeing these non-native invasive plants in the landscape and asking that question, why is that non not beneficial in that place? So it's just to reiterate that while native plants do provide a service to that ecosystem, we are also definitely saying that in all cases, invasive plants do, are not providing a service to that ecosystem. Uh, they do provide food, but often food for the wildlife that's eating, you know, portions of these plants um, is not beneficial to, the, to that wildlife. There are all kinds of examples that you can think of where these services that these native plants are providing are not replaced by these invasive plants. Mm -hmm. Right. When we are replanting an area that is uh, being restored, we try to take plant species that provide benefit, and so a classic one that is uh, gaining a lot of popularity right now is uh, replanting milkweed. Mm -hmm. Milkweed is the only plant that monarch butterflies will feed on and without extensive populations of milkweed, which has been eradicated because it was considered a weed in agricultural areas, mm -hmm. without extensive populations of milkweed, the monarch butterfly will go extinct. It needs that plant. Um, it, it needs habitat in, in Mexico where it winters as well, but that's mm -hmm. a different story. What we're what focusing on is what we can do up here. Well, I know that I know a lot of people in the neighborhood that I live in at home above Greensboro, they'll plant these butterfly bushes that are supposed to be helping our pollinators. Is it similar to what is going on with invasive and non-native species? So that's a prime example of uh, a, a plant that does attract butterflies and a, a diversity of butterflies, but it does not provide the nutritional value or the uh, appropriate food and habitat for butterflies. It's essentially going to the candy store. <laughs> um, and there are a number of plants like that. Another uh, very popular ground cover, Lantana, has these really bright, uh, showy flowers and um, survives in a variety of conditions. And it's a horticultural trade plant that's not native to this area. Uh, so another example of maybe not an invasive, but definitely a non-native that um, does not provide any nutritional value to insects, but it, it attracts all kinds of pollinators. Gotcha. And I know that some people often will plant things like butterfly bushes because they think that they're beautiful. And at, at here at the garden, I know that we take pride in trying to turn people's mindsets away from thinking that wildness and our native species are beautiful. So can we talk about maybe some things and programs at the garden that deal with invasive species and plant replanting these native species like you were talking about? Um, in terms of what we're doing at the garden, uh, Nick and I both host uh, weekly volunteer groups. We call them the Green Dragons. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got wonderful volunteers who help us with native restoration, non-native removal, um, we are 
out there two to three hours, four or five times a week with these groups. And the amount of work that we get done with them is really incredible. And we're very grateful for the help that they provide. We also host invasive species workshops and classes that we teach the public about the more common non-native invasives that you will find in your yard in this area and how to treat them. Um, we also host some meetings. Nick, you want to talk about those? Yes. So people from across the state in North Carolina come together, talk about the trials and tribulations of removing invasive plants. And it's, a, it's open to these meetings are open to the public, at mm -hmm. least when they're hosted here at the garden. So it's a chance for people who are interested in what the professionals are doing, finding out about uh, their wealth of knowledge and, and maybe taking that to their own backyards. We also have uh, publications on our website um, that were developed here at the garden, so you can access these publications from our website. So the one in particular is called Controlling Invasive Plants. Okay. It's a little booklet, but you can scroll through it online as well. And it provides very general information all the way to very specific information. So general, general information about I have an invasive tree or I have an invasive vine in my yard. What are the best, best methods for removal of this type of plant? Okay. And then it has profiles on specific plant species. Cool. Awesome. So Nick and Neville, we've been talking about some things that we do here at the garden, but um, if someone's at home and they're wanting to get involved and see what invasive plants they have, what are some particular ones that they could look out for? Around here in the Piedmont, uh, one of the most common invasive plants that I see in people's backyards is English ivy. Mm -hmm. It's an evergreen vine and ground cover. And this species was brought in for horticultural purposes. Uh, most people see it as a very beautiful plant. I do not, <laughs> but that's a bias on, for me. Um, so in English ivy is invasive. It is defined as, in, as an invasive species, but uh, so what it does is it, as I said, it's a ground cover. So it completely um, uh, covers the ground and does not allow for particular native herbs to um, to grow in those areas in which it's covering. So, Interesting. Yeah, we could dedicate the whole episode <laughs> to, to this, but I, I would just say that one of the worst ones that I see uh, pretty much everywhere is Microstegium viminium, and uh, it's commonly called uh, Japanese stilt grass or uh, Nepalese brown top um, is another name that you'll see. but. It's a uh, annual weedy grass that grows everywhere. It can thrive in everything from shady, wet conditions to moderately dry, full sun conditions. I've seen it everywhere. And it can get up to four or five feet tall and completely cover everything that is growing in an area where it is. Uh, and it is an annual, so if you let it go to seed, it produces hundreds, if not thousands, of seeds per plant. It is just obscene how aggressive it is. The good news is it's a pretty weak plant and if you start working on it as it pops up you can hand pull it. You can cut it with a string trimmer and remove it that way. You can really reduce the biomass pretty pretty easily on it but you have to take it seriously when it shows up otherwise you will have it as your new least best friend in the neighborhood. <laughs> Is English ivy um, treatable in the same manner, or is it different? English ivy is a lot more uh, 
labor intensive to remove. Mm -hmm. You can remove it manually. One of the things that we do when we come into an area where we have not addressed an English ivy infestation is we cut it from the trees because when it climbs into a tree, that's how it uh, flowers and fruits. And Mm -hmm. so therefore, you know, the birds come by, they eat the berries, they fly to some other place and drop those seeds and those seeds can germinate into a new plant. Gotcha. And if someone did identify these plants in their yards and got rid of them and then wanted to plant something that was better for their ecosystem, where could they find these plants to put in their yards? Well, you can always stop by the North Carolina Botanical Garden. <laughs> uh, shameless <laughs> plug there. We have, we have lots of great plants in our nursery, but there are local nurseries all over the place, no matter where you are, that will sell native plants. And so if you're interested in native plants, it's a good idea to contact your local nursery and tell them that you're looking for native plants. Tell them what kind of habitat you have, what your needs are in terms of growth habit. Do you want something that's going to provide good ground cover or do you want something that's going to be a good pollinator, attractor uh, for your garden? So if you let the nursery know what you're looking for and that you want natives, they can help you out. Gotcha. And a way to find those those nurseries that do have these native plants, you can, uh, the Audubon Society is a great place to start. They often have uh, resources listed. Um, and there are usually native plant societies or an invasive plant council in every state, in the, at least in the southeast. And um, that's another way you can find native plant materials. Well, Nick and Neville, thank you so much for all this fantastic information and the great tips that I know I will definitely use in the future. And I hope you guys have an awesome day and keep up your good work. Thank you so much. Thanks, you too. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Plant Power. Nick Adams and Neville Handel gave great information on the difference between native and invasive plants. If you are interested in learning more, continue listening with us over the next few weeks and check out our website for more resources at ncbg.unc.edu slash plantpower. Next time, we will explore the world of seed collection with two North Carolina Botanical Garden staff and hear about how important seeds are for climate resiliency. Until next time. Nick Adams is the Battle Park Manager at the North Carolina Botanical Garden, and Neville Handel is the Land Manager at the North Carolina Botanical Garden. This podcast is made possible by the North Carolina Botanical Garden. This episode was produced by Jana Starr, with music brought to you by Terry Bockland. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend. I'm Emma Wilson, and this is Plant Power.